Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. champions and didn't go out of the group stages. And wow, there's only one team in this run from the last six winners. There's only one team that has gotten to the round of 16 and that is Cameroon. The rest, two didn't qualify, three exited at the group stage. Senegal, they got um, knocked out in the round of 16 by Nigeria in that 2017. They were in the same group with Ghana. And then Algeria, the, the team that they a won lot the of people in, in 2019, a lot of people had expectations for them. But in six Afghan, since winning the title in 2019, they've not won a game. In six games, they've accumulated three points considered eight goals and scored just four. That is how worse it is. And Senegal, as we've talk, uh, spoken about them, they are on course. Looking at how they are playing and the quality of players, the decisions their coach is making, looks like it's going to be possible for them to surpass that uh, quarterfinal barrier that the defending champions have been having since 2010. All right, interesting. Thank you very much, Karim. So we'll see whether Senegal will be able to defend their title. But this is confirmation of the teams that are going to qualify uh, for the uh, round of 16. These are the, this is the ranking of the third-place team. So Guinea will make it through. They've got four points. Mauritania uh, have qualified as well. Cote d'Ivoire have qualified. I can confirm that. Uh, Namibia as well have uh, an opportunity uh, Karim, thank you very much. It's, uh, they say you can go. <laughs> uh, yes, I am. And you know, so that's that. Uh, I'll show you the fixtures for this. So you see why Ghana is out. You got only two points. You have no chance of coming here. Mm -hmm. So Ghana is out completely. All right. Now, uh, with these teams in three-three-three, three, three, um, Mauritania for sure have qualified. They have a goal difference of plus one. Yeah. Is it plus one? No, minus one. Minus one. Minus one. Cote d'Ivoire have a goal difference of minus three, and Namibia have a goal difference of minus three as well. Now, Zambia is the only other team with a chance to qualify, so knock around. Let me show you the fixtures. Now, Zambia play against Morocco. Now, if Zambia uh, were to get a win, uh, where are they? Yeah. If Zambia were to beat Morocco, uh, it will take them to four points, I believe. They have one win. Uh, one defeat. Yeah. So it would... No, they actually have two points, isn't it? They have two points, so they have two draws. So if they were to beat Morocco, then they would qualify. In fact, that would mean that Zambia go up to five points above Morocco. Yeah. But Morocco already have four points. So that means that... Okay, uh, I'm sorry. But, so that means that they will go... In fact, so that means now uh, Namibia okay. will get kicked out. Yeah. And then what would happen is that Morocco would now finish here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the Mauritania below them, then Cote d'Ivoire, and then Namibia will be eliminated. Yeah, the last because one. Zambia would qualify automatically. Yeah. So they would, not, they would no longer need this. Yeah. So these are the games coming up. South Africa have three points themselves. Uh, Tunisia have no win. Yeah. So 
if Tunisia need to qualify, they need to beat South Africa. At and then they give the automatic slots. No, oh, wow. they're on a point. Yeah, because they lost to Namibia. Yeah, they did. So they have a point. Thank yes. you. So the only way they qualify is to beat South Africa. If they beat South Africa, who have three points, they are out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is that is some game, huh? Yeah. Very tight. Quick prediction. <sighs> That's a tough one, you know, because South Africa themselves are not playing too well. Uh, Tunisia are very not convincing as well. <sighs> prediction, Kojo. Oh, uh, I, I think it it could. I say Tunisia win. I don't think South Africa have the temperament, no. Uh, I don't they, they've bottled it on too many occasions. Mm, mm, mm. Tunisia, mm. Yeah. Uh, Namibia, Mali. Mali already uh, shoot. Namibia have three points right now. Yeah. And look, a draw could be enough for them. Mm. Do you think you'll get something from this game? I, I believe think, so. I don't think so. Um, the, okay. way, the way Mali plays takes away a lot of liberties from opponents. All right, actually... DR Congo, quick, we have only 30 seconds. DR Congo, Tanzania. DR Congo. DR Congo win. And you get Morocco, Zambia. Definitely Morocco. Morocco win? Morocco win. Okay, so Zambia uh, getting kicked out, according to Kojo. <laughs> anyway, so that's our show for today on AFCON today. My name is Fento Tahir Fento. The show is proudly sponsored by MTN. MTN everywhere you go. We're live on Joy 99.7 FM on the Joy News channel as well as on Joy Prime TV channel. Of course, Achu and Kojo were my guest. Show produced by Sheikh Mubarak Haruna. Until next time, though, thanks for watching. This afternoon on the marketplace, a human rights court in Accra dismisses application by Dr. Papa Kwesi Ndoum and GN Bank over the revocation of the bank's license. Also coming up, Africa Center for Energy Policy describes decision to impose VAT on electricity consumers as ill-timed. What we need to focus on is making sure that those who are not paying pay, uh, we are able to account uh, for the power that is generated. We have the systems to do that. And once you be able to clean up that space and be able to optimize the tariff so that it is much more, uh, uh, less burdensome. And World Bank Board approves $300 million for Ghana to support some budgetary projects and stabilize the economy. Thanks for being with us. Details coming up.
And thanks for being with us, everyone. Uh, a human rights court in Accra has dismissed the application of Dr. Papakwesi Nduma and GN Bank over the revocation of the bank's license. According to the court, the Bank of Ghana's action uh, was reasonable and not actuated by malice. Court correspondent Richard Kojinyako joins us on phone uh, with more on that. Uh, Richard, what transpired in court today? From the broader scale, and when the case was called, the court indicated that the Bank of Ghana was carrying out its lawful mandate in the interest of the shareholders and the larger interest of the public and could not be faulted. In fact, after the court declared that the applicant had the requisite capacity and had properly invoked the jurisdiction of the court, the judge proceeded to deal substantively the issues of one, discrimination raised by Dr. Papakinsidum and the GNCs and loans, two, unreasonable behavior they claim exhibited by the Bank of Ghana, and three, unfairness and violation of the administrative rights uh, of the applicant. But on the issue, so let's take them one after the other. On the issue of administrative rights violation, the applicant, that is the, the, the Papakwe Syndrome and the GN Savings and Loans, asserted that an honest assessment by the Bank of Ghana would have proved that GN Savings and Loans were solvent, contrary to the Bank of Ghana's assertion that the entity was not solvent. In fact, they claim that if the debt owed them by government was paid, the capital adequacy ratio would have been met. So this is a quotation. If the Bank of Ghana had taken into consideration the financial circumstances of the company and the fact that government owed them, they would have seen that the company was solvent. That's the lawyer for the GN savings uh, and loans and the of them. So the applicant um, dissatisfaction on the basis of miscalculation, they said that uh, the Bank of Ghana miscalculated the thing because they should have taken into consideration the amount of money government owed them. And so based on that, the administrative body, um, such as the Bank of Ghana, was unfair and reasonable and irrational in its administrative functions, and they, they have no reason to bring it to the human rights court. So that was the first one. But this leg of the argument by the Papa Pakistanum and group, um, and then uh, the GN Service and Loans was dismissed by the court, and so they proceeded to the other one, where they said that there was an issue of discrimination, the fact that the Bank of Ghana discriminated, uh, discriminated against them. According to them, um, they had targeted them in revoking their license. But the respondent, that is the Bank of Ghana, said that they were simply carrying out their mandate. And within that space of time, there were other entities and banks that they closed them down. So it couldn't be possible, and they cannot be crying um, about discrimination. The fact that other banks and other uh, the position uh, companies were also closed down at the same time. And so that one, the judge indicated that that one too had to be dismissed. And then it came to uh, the property, the fact that they had to um, also hold on to their property, and the bank also dismissed them. And so all in all, the application filed by Dr. Papakwe in its entirety was dismissed by the Human Rights Court. Uh, any reactions from both sides to the ruling of the court? Well, so I've been uh, speaking to the camp of Dr. Papaki Kingdom and they are sent at the decision of the Human Rights Court and they have indicated that they would want to go on appeal, they would have to appeal the decision um, of the matter. But on the bank of the, uh, on the, on, on the front of the Bank of Ghana, they expressed excitement and they were looking for costs awarded against Dr. Papaki Kingdom and the GM Bank. And so 
these are the reactions from both camps. All right. Uh, thanks for the update. Richard Kujinyako, our call correspondent, they appreciate it. One X, the Africa Center for Energy Policy, ASEP, has reiterated the need to improve efficiency in the collection of bills rather than introduce value-added tax on electricity consumption. ASEP argues that blocking the current financial leakages in the system would greatly impact the financial position of the electricity company of Ghana. Executive Director Ben Boache said burdening the consumer now with taxes is ill-timed. That additional tax on consumers, uh, you know, who are about 30-35% of the total uh, consuming populace, I don't think it's going to shift anything. What we need to focus on is making sure that those who are not paying pay, uh, we are able to account uh, for the power that is generated. We have the systems to do that. And once you be able to clean up that space and be able to optimize the tariff so that it is much more, uh, uh, less burdensome on the people, then you can then go into these kinds of things to see how do we uh, generate more revenue. Um, otherwise, you only have a few credible consumers who are always taking the bullets. They're always taking the, uh, the higher tariffs. Professor of Finance at the Andrews University, Williams Paper, he's got an article on the ECG situation titled Strategic Restructuring for Efficiency, proposing the division and partial privatization of Ghana's ECG on the GSC for improved performance and financial stability. You can check it out on myjoyonline.com forward slash business. Uh, good afternoon to you from here, uh, Prof. You say you're not surprised that despite an increase in the selling, of, selling price of electricity, we rather saw a decline in the revenue of ECG and the incoming 15% VAT on electricity charge will only worsen the financial situation of the company. How so? You're muted. We, we cannot hear you, Prof. Uh, I, I don't know what the issue is, but we are trying to resolve that technical issue with uh, Professor uh, Williams Vipra on the ECG issue. We're going to stick with that because the Ghana Chamber of Mines is asking the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources to proceed with its planned policy of revoking value-added tax on mineral exploration in Ghana. The Trade Union Congress yesterday criticized the sector minister Samuel Abujinapo for making commitments to withdraw the revenue measure at the time Ghanaians are being charged a 15% value-added tax on electricity consumption above lifeline levels. The TUC says all governments around the world would rather, in times of crisis, uh, raking more revenue from gold and entire minerals, uh, the entire mineral sector. Dr. Alba is Secretary General of the TUC. Let's listen to what he said. Well, let me explain to you again when we are talking about exploration. At this, there are various phases of, of mining. So you start with exploration. And that phase of exploration, you don't have revenue because you're exploring, as the name connotes. So you are now looking for it. You drill here, you take samples, you take it to the laboratory, you do the analysis. Is it good enough? No, it is not good enough. Oh, I think let me find here, statistically based upon experience, let me look here, let me take a drill rig and drill and find out what is there. Take it to the... 
Union leaders preparing to give a showdown to government. The Trade Union Congress, the umbrella body for all labor associations in Ghana, say they are unhappy about government's latest decision to impose a 15% value-added tax on energy consumers above lifeline levels. The Trade Union Congress says many of their members who are already overburdened with taxes will be slapped with additional charges after the imposition of this new levy. Dr. Anthony Albar is Secretary General of the Trade Union Congress. It is worth noting that 30 kilowatts hour of electricity allows the lifeline customers to use only three lead bulbs, one, uh, one electric iron, one television, and one fan. You know, and I want to emphasize that this 30 kilowatt hour thing, lifeline, it was 50 since the early 90s. Yes, yes. Then in 2022, PURC changed it from 50 to 30. They did it quietly. We note that since 2022, electricity tariffs have gone up by 73%. So in 2021, if you were paying 100 Ghana cities, now that same customer is paying 173 Ghana cities. But there's a caution to government, a threat of labor unrest if government fails to totally reverse the policy. So today, organized labor, we have come together again. And our message to government is very simple. We cannot pay. By responding to the concerns, the Ghana Chamber of Mines said it will be engaging the TEC to educate them on their advocacy on the reversal of value-added tax on mining exploration. Chief Executive Suleiman Koni tells uh, joining his blessed Suga that it is near criminal for anyone to impose taxes on investors' money being used for a highly risky venture of minerals exploration. He explains why. At this, there are various phases of, of mining. So you start with exploration. And that phase of exploration, you don't have revenue because you're exploring, as the name connotes. So you are now looking for it. You drill here, you take samples, you take it to the laboratory, you do the analysis. Is it good enough? No, it is not good enough. Oh, I think let me find here, statistically based upon experience, let me look here, let me take a drill rig and drill and find out what is there. Take it to the laboratory, do their thing. And, and so that phase of mining, there's no revenue. So where is the profit coming from? There are a number of companies who have come to this country. And when I'm talking about companies, not just foreign companies. In fact, if you go to Minerals Commission, about 50% of the exploration tournaments are held by Ghanaians. You understand what I'm talking about? So for us, it is not a white investor or a black investor. We are talking about that phase of mining, how critical it is for the future of our economy, of our country. And all we are saying that for that phase of mining, there's no revenue. So this is expensive capital coming into the country. And even before they make a commercial fine, you are standing at the gate and saying, no, give me so much of it. And we are saying morally, ethically, and that's about 20%, a little above that, of that amount which has to go into exploration. Ethically, morally, it is wrong.
But, but I'm sure you've listened to the Trade Union Congress. Uh, you watched them address the press yesterday. If there's a response to them or uh, an education sort of, uh, if you want to put it that way, on the situation, what would you tell them based on the concerns they raised? I think we'd love to have more intimate conversations with them. Um, the mineral resources belong to all of us. And ideally, uh, we should all have a say regarding how these resources are actually you know, um, managed. Unfortunately, it's not everybody who has the understanding of the industry, and that's why we do a lot of advocacy. So our expectation is that they could come close to us, or we would even reach out to them and say, look, let's have a conversation. We are talking about a dedicated phase of mining, which is exploration. If indeed we believe that mining is important to us, sometimes we, we make the argument, without mining, probably our exchange rate will be around 15, or even more than that, because when you are talking about gross merchandise export, we have been number one for so many years, even when you add other segments of the, uh, of the other sectors of the economy, whether it is cocoa, oil and gas, they pale into insignificance compared to the mining industry. The probability of making a commercial fine is so, so, so low. So for me, it is near criminal even to say that you bring your investment capital into the country, whether a foreigner or not, start exploration and then even before you even make a commercial fine, government is at the door and say, pay VAT on it. I don't think that it's a good thing to do for our country. And I think it's a good thing for government to revisit this subject matter. At the end of the day, we'll have the dividends through the payment of corporate taxes, royalties, and employment, and even overall value retention within the country. If you are talking about local content, yesterday we had a conference about local content. Would you talk about local content if you don't have exploration? Like I said, all else depends on successful exploration. So everything we are talking about in the industry, all the linkages, the corporate social investment, everything, everything, everything relies on, on, on exploration. And I think it's important that we have a, a reprieve for that segment of mining. Well, next, the World Bank Board has approved $300 million to help support some budgetary projects and stabilize Ghana's economy. The support which comes under the development policy operation is expected to help Ghana's economic recovery and finance some projects identified in the budget. Georgia fears more. World Bank Board says this is the first of several support that will be advanced to Ghana to aid in the recovery of the economy. This $300 million should also go a long way to help restore fiscal sustainability, improve energy sector financing in the country. The World Bank, by this support, is also looking at how domestic revenue can be improved as well as controlling expenditure. The bank also was the view that it should help in restoring fiscal and debt sustainability that would help in curbing inflation in the country. The disbursement follows Ghana's passing of the first review under the IMF program last Friday by the executive board of the fund. The development should mean that almost $1 billion should hit government of Ghana's accounts at the Bank of Ghana before the end of this month. That is more than $600 million from the IMF and then there's $300 million from the World Bank Group. Joy Business also understands that other donor partners are expected to meet in the coming weeks and approve some additional financing for Ghana to help stabilize the economy. Bank of Ghana's international reserves have witnessed some uh, significant increase after more than $600 million was credited to its account yesterday. 
It was a transfer from the International Monetary Fund as part of a $3 billion extended credit facility program. The executive board of the fund last Friday approved the disbursement after the country successfully passed the first review under the fund program. This may go a long way to put the Bank of Ghana in a strong position to support the local currency. Now, uh, Chief Executive of the Ghana Investment Promotion Center, JIPC, Yofi Grant, says a digitalized informal sector will enhance revenue identification and collection. According to him, the new global tax law will create the needed tax equity for both foreign and domestic businesses. He has been speaking to journalists in Accra. Well, yes, I mean, tax is a, is a sovereign right of every country, and every country charges taxes. And, uh, uh, on the joking side, I mean, uh, any tax is always a problem everywhere. Because we, we believe that we are, we, we are overtaxed. But indeed, um, I, I think what has um, triggered this response is the fact that our tax administration has become, become a bit more aggressive. But if you compare to other jurisdictions... Um put it on the card. Put it in the bag. These three bags used to be six. Seems like the only thing going up these days is your credit card balance. If only there were some place to turn. Just ask your home. It's got equity. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can use it to get cash quickly for whatever you need. Visit JustAskYourHome.com today. Call 1-800-863-4332 for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. You'd wonder why our tax rates are so low. Um probably less than 16% of GDP compared to the OECD where it's over 25% and even some of our peers in West Africa which is above 16% and, and, and so you say that then there must be a gap somewhere now there, there are two ways either people are, we are not correcting the right taxes or we haven't widened our nets enough to be able to you know, collect the taxes. But as, as I mentioned to you, the structure of our economy makes it difficult when 85% of your economy is SMEs and SMIs, you know, and a lot of them are informal. Um, and so with digitalization, the, the view is that we can formalize them and then collect the right taxes and broaden the tax net as well as collect the right taxes. And I think that is what's important. And in that sphere, I'm not sure the investors are saying they won't pay taxes. No, they will pay taxes. And you know there's a global, the new global tax law, which says that regardless of where you are, you should pay a minimum tax of 15%. So the question is that they will be taxed. While you're watching the marketplace, at time the Joy Business Advisory Series, uh, we have been treating topics on financial planning and budgeting uh, to get you prepared to manage your finances in 2024. But one thing you should also plan is to manage your debt. So here to speak with us about effective debt management is Osei Ousuansam uh, Jr., who is Senior Manager of Strategy and Operations at KPMG. Great to have you in the studio. Welcome to the marketplace. So uh, what is effective debt management in simple terms? Thank you. Thank you very for having me. And, um, I think we've spoken about part of it um, with government and then IMF trying to restructure. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> exactly. And um, that also applies to individuals as well. So when mm-hmm. we talk about effective debt management, what we are trying to say is how do you organize, control, and utilize debt, right? 
to make sure that you are able to achieve your financial objectives whilst minimizing your financial risk. So we, we are saying managing because um, some people tend to see debt as um, something bad, right? But debt in itself is not bad. It's a tool towards achieving your financial objective. But we are talking about how you optimize it such that you don't put yourself in um, distress levels, but then you manage it to enable you achieve your financial objectives. Yeah. yeah. So what's the importance of um, effective debt management? How does it improve one's uh, personal financial well-being? So debt management is it's important, and it's not just about um, financial well-being, but I think uh, the total well-being of the individual. So just imagine someone owing a lot of people. They tend to even um, avoid phone calls because it, it puts their, uh, their blood pressure up. So effective debt management gives you financial stability. Mm-hmm. It makes you stable financially. And what financial stability here means is not a lot of money in your account, but then you are able to predict how much is coming in, how much is going out. Okay. It helps maintain relationships. Um, you realize that for individuals, a lot of loans we take are soft loans from family, from friends, and all. Mm-hmm. If you manage your debt effectively and make due your obligations, it helps you maintain those relationships, and it helps towards um, achieving an overall um, well-being of the individual. So what are the debts um, individuals struggle with, and how can they be managed? Okay, so, so I'll look at uh, maybe three broad categories. So the first will be um, auto loans, and mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people would resort to loans when they are trying to um, purchase their first vehicle, right? Um, because it wouldn't make sense for you to save money in, in an economy like ours. So the first would be the auto loans. And for auto loans, um, it's one of the things you have to be very cautious of in terms of how you manage it. Affordability when it comes to auto loans goes beyond your ability to be able to pay the loan, but then to be able to service the vehicle as well. So when you are looking at um, your ability to take an auto loan, look at the servicing aspect as well. So let's consider someone who, for example, lives at East Legon and then um, maybe works at airport. Mm-hmm. The person does not meet any um, portals. The person probably doesn't even travel outside of Accra, but maybe driving a four-wheel, which he's struggling to, to, to maintain and even service. Maybe one of the options you would want to look at is trading it in for a more affordable um, option or refinancing the loan by paying off when you receive um, um, some windfall cash. Another one we can look at is mortgage. And mortgage is one of the struggles, especially in the current volatility in our, in our, in our economy. Um, when someone takes a mortgage, they, they have two risks to manage, the interest rate risk and then the exchange rate risk, right? So when you take up a mortgage, what you have to do is to constantly stress test your ability to pay the mortgage. Mm. So what stress test here means is look at the various scenarios in terms of what to these two variables, um, in terms of how they can change. So looking at exchange rates and interest rates, how bad can it get? Will I be able to service it when it gets that bad? Look at depreciation of the CD. How bad can it get? Will I be able to service it when it gets bad? Then we can look at uh, personal loans, and, and, and personal loans is probably the trickiest one of all to say, what do I take personal loans for? So maybe as a rule of thumb, whatever you are taking a personal loan for, the return you are getting from it should exceed how much you are paying for the loan in terms of interest. And when we talk about that, you'd want to limit it to needs and not mm. wants, right? Mm. So when you, when you look at um, people making purchases, 
just because another business has made a decision to run a sale or buy now, pay later, you take a loan to service that. And when it comes to needs, let's look at um, certain things like rent and then um, maybe delivery of, of, of a baby. Right. Are these things you should take personal loans for? Because you have, you have some time to, to plan for it. And prepare so, for it. Exactly, and prepare for it. So in order to avoid um, some of these um, debt distress, you would want to plan effectively around these three broad categories to be able to Yeah, manage. talk to us a bit more about uh, some of the obstacles uh, people encounter in managing their debts. Right, so one of the key things, um, and I, I keep relating it to the current economic situation, is the interest rate hikes. So um, if you realize, um, from 2022 to 2023, people who had um, personal loans with banks had their repayments restructured somehow. So they had to now pay the loan for a longer tenor, and some of them actually had their repayment amount increased, right? Okay. So that's one of the key things, when you cannot predict or plan around exchange rate or interest rate um, hikes. So the other key thing when it comes to um, looking at um, debt management as an obstacle is financial literacy. Do people know the kind of products available to them? So, for example, do I walk into a bank, take a personal loan and, um, to purchase a vehicle, or I look out for banks that have specific products for auto loans, where maybe I would have to contribute a part of it and then finance it uh, maybe at a cheaper option than personal loans. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the obstacles. And then um, our inability to be disciplined financially, like I mentioned, the fact that someone is running a sale does not constitute a need on your end as an individual. If you don't need it, the fact that it's on sale doesn't mean you should get it. People would go through extents to be able to afford. So these are some of the obstacles when it comes to... Uh, okay, so in 30 seconds, because I have a feeling we're going to have you tomorrow as well sure. to talk about, but well, we can't finish everything today. What are some of the strategies to effective debt management? So the first thing you would want to do is to understand your debt position. Where, I, where are you at any point in time in terms of your debt obligations? And mm-hmm. When people are looking at their debt obligations, they tend to overlook soft loans family and friends have given them. When it comes to paying off loans... I, I typically would say pay off loans that you can easily access the next time. And this is typically loans from your family and friends. So prioritize those loans. After you've d- determined your debt position, put a plan around it. Right. Which one should I pay first? So you see the banks running a promotion to mobilize deposits because they get deposits cheaper from us. Mm-hmm. So pay the cheaper ones first. Pay the one which has your credibility at stake first. Okay. Then you can manage around the address and then keep planning and monitoring those repayments. We, we are going to continue this conversation tomorrow. I'm sure there's plenty more to talk about. Sure. Um, also as a junior, um, Senior Manager of Strategy and Operations at KPMG. I appreciate your time. That's the marketplace. Uh, on our- Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.